That's so funny. It's okay. Half the time, I don't even know what I say on Sunday morning. Or in, you know, when you see me kind of walk like this and not looking at my paper, my wife gets nervous, and uh, and all of you lean in because you wonder what I'm going to say next. So. Yeah, it's great to be here with all of you, and I mean, I love seeing you know, people share their stories and seeing God <clears throat> and, you know, just opening up spiritual gifts in people's lives and serving in the larger body of Christ. That, that is our deepest desire as a church, is so that you know how God has made you and how God has wired you. And my ultimate joy comes not from doing everything all by myself, but my ultimate joy comes from seeing God work in and through you. And then my role just becomes to release and to equip you in the calling that God has on your life. That's why I do what I do, to see God do what he wants to do in and through each and every one of you. So I just want to give a big a shout out. She's not in the room right now because she's upstairs serving some of our little kids in Kid Zone. But I just wanted to say a big thank you to Marnie, who's a part of our Kid Zone team. Marnie is up there every Sunday. Like every Sunday. So it's either she really loves your children or really doesn't like my sermons. It's one or the other. But I know she really loves your kids, and it's just amazing that she's up there just being that consistent leader and just pouring into our kids up there. So we really, really appreciate Marnie and everyone else who serves. And so as we, as Paul said, we're going through the book of Romans. If you're not familiar with this book, and maybe the Bible's new to you, or maybe you're, you don't have a lot of experience with the Bible, that's totally okay. Uh, but this letter in the New Testament is considered to be, by Christians, the most theologically in-depth, systematic theology, all put together. It's the deepest, it's the richest, it's the most complicated, and it really, really can work your brain. And what we believe, or, you know, as a church, is what you believe about God needs to change how you live your life. That's just the way it works, right? It's what we believe about God. Our theology transforms, by the power of God, our methodology. It changes how we live. Like, we can't say we believe God is generous and we're like not and very stingy. We can't say that God is loving and we're not and we're quite cruel and mean to people. We can't say that God is a God who just pours out his grace to everybody. But boy, oh boy, if you ever wrong me, there is no grace and there is no forgiveness anywhere coming from me. See how this works, right? What we believe about God transforms how we live out our faith. Now, how many of you did this? I, I'm assuming a whole bunch of you did because probably like, like, I think it was like close to 200 million people actually did this in April of 2020. How many of you watched Some Good News by John Krasinski on YouTube in March of 2020? Okay, a few hands, like 200 million of you watched, okay? So some of you are kind of wondering, what am I talking about? It, it, it's Jim from The Office, okay, was stuck at home in his boxer shorts, and he was wearing a suit, and he basically simulated the newscast, but instead of talking about all the bad news that was going on in March and April of 2020, he got his kids to design a little logo, and he was just kind of interviewing people, and he was talking about good news. I, I love that show. And he did about like nine episodes, and then he sold it for like $7.9 billion or something like that. And then we never saw another episode ever again because it just became like some corporate thing took it over, right? But why did so many people watch that in a season when life was really challenging? Remember, remember April 2020? 
April 2020, it was not fun. I mean, I enjoyed it. The introvert in me really liked it for about a month. It was like amazing. I, I, I could just, I don't have to meet anybody. I could just do Zoom. It was like just, oh, it was amazing. But then, you know, I started, you know, not shaving and not showering and going to meetings, not showering, days on ends, and it was just really nasty. But, <laughs> but there's something about good news that we are desperate to hear as human beings. And the reason why I think we are wired for good news is because all around us is bad news. The world that you and I live in is just constantly, constantly, constantly filled with bad news. And the Christian message isn't any different In the Christian message, we have to understand that there is bad news in order for us to celebrate and rejoice in the good news that God has done by sending Jesus. Because if you don't understand the bad news, you don't need the good news. So last week's message, I know it was really heavy and it was really difficult to hear. But you need to know the bad news. Right? And the bad news is none of us are any good. And I know when even just saying those words, our shoulders kind of go up and go, no, 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 like Pastor Kevin, I am, I'm really good. But compared to what? Or compared to who? Because that's what we actually like to do as religious people. We like to compare how gooder. Is that an English word? How gooder am I than other religious people? And does my religion produce more good people than other religions? And we stack each other up and we put ourselves on these charts to see how many good people are in my religion. And this is why when people say, well, Kevin, like, I mean, you follow the Christian religion. I actually say I don't. I do not follow the Christian religion. I follow the man Jesus. I follow his, what he did for me. And we have to understand that in humanity, there is this thing, even though we don't like to talk about it, and even though culture wants to pretend this thing doesn't exist, we have something that, that's called sin. Because if there is a moral lawgiver, and I believe there is, if there is a moral law, every single one of us has broken it. No exception. I broke it yesterday. <laughs> when these little thoughts creep into your mind, when you're kind of driving and then you're tired and you get a little cranky. Like all of us who are good people, if there is truly this moral law, we all break it. And that's bad news because what we've then, and that's what we talked about last week, is then we try to make up for the bad news by saying, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to will myself into being a good person. And some of us grew up in very, very strict religious environments. It's how I grew up that I actually grew up believing that God doesn't love me because I wasn't a very good boy. <laughs> Like back when I was in school, I was very fidgety. I couldn't sit still. And the nuns would put my hand on a table and they would hit me with a ruler until I behaved. We were the last generation. Anyone else get the ruler or the belt? Remember the 
good old days, and you don't make me come over there. You know, we just don't parent that way anymore, right? Those of us with gray hair, you know what I'm talking about, okay? We beat in behavior, not heart transformation, right? Because deep down, there's bad news, and we all have this sin. And so you need to understand the bad news in order to really understand the good news, And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our series of going through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Rome. Again, just as a recap, if you're not familiar with ancient church history, Rome at the time of this writing was the most civilized city on the planet. Government, philosophy, religion, all the, all the systems to bring in water, every like all of these things, it was the most technologically socially advanced city on the planet. It's, it's estimated that nearly one third of the, or one quarter of the world's population was influenced by the power of Rome. And so Paul, a Jewish leader who was very strict and very religious. In fact, he was so strict and so religious, he actually went around and was persecuting, was seeing executed people who were leaving the Jewish faith and following this rabbi named Jesus. And he was, had this zeal to stop that. And then he has this supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus says, you are going to be my apostle. You are going to go out to speak to all the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jewish people. People in Rome. People in Asia, people in Africa, people all over the place, not the Jewish people. And so Paul writes the most theologically rich letter that we have in the Bible to the most sophisticated, advanced city in the world. And his message is, your religion can't save you. And he talks specifically to the Jewish people in the end, uh, the beginning parts of chapter two and to all the way through chapter two, he specifically talks to his people, he talks to his people. And, he, and, and he's comparing because there's a lot of fighting going on. The Jewish people who are starting to believe in Jesus and the, the Greeks and the Romans who are following Jesus, there's cultural tension that's happening. So weird, eh? To have cultural tension among human beings. You know, if you go, wow, we've got this new problem here in Northwestern culture that we've got all these tensions with culture. It's people. And this is why when people say, well, humanity's good. We can solve this. We haven't fixed it yet. We haven't fixed cultural tension in 2000 years. So what's going to fix it now? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we can't. Right. So he's, Paul's writing to this cultural tension Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And cause the Jewish people are like, yeah, but we're God's chosen people. We've, like, we're it. Like, it's all about us. We're amazing. And Paul says, well, no, you had one advantage over the Greeks and over the Gentiles. You did have one advantage. You did have the law of God. You did have that. <laughs> but it made no difference. <laughs> it didn't change you. It didn't transform your life. It didn't make you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It didn't make you love your neighbor as yourself. And ultimately, it couldn't save you from your sin. (laughs) 
And so this is kind of what Paul reminds us about in the, that part of the letter, that religious, religion keeps us stuck in bad news. And so now let's today talk more about the good news. Like Paul wasn't passionate to travel all over the world to just speak bad news. Paul spoke about Jesus for over 20 years and traveled wherever God would send him to let the world know of this good news that God has brought. So let's read about this in Romans chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. If you're with us today and you do not own a Bible, I would love to give you one today as a gift. They're in the back over there because of the whole COVID. I don't want anyone touching your Bible. So I keep them clean over there so you can grab one of those on the way out. And uh, that's our gift to you today. But here, Romans chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Again, he's speaking specifically to the Jewish people at this moment. And he says, so what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Again, talking to the Jewish people. Is there an advantage of being Jewish over being a Gentile? Because you have the law of God. You're God's chosen people. That should bring some kind of advantage, right? No. <laughs> this is what Paul says. He continues, do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And right, so as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Right? Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. And then Paul continues, and he says, So now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the work of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, that's what Paul is really trying to drive to the people of God here, to his Jewish brothers and sisters, is that you got to know the full revelation of God here up to that point. You had the prophets. You, you had the, the kings. You, you, had, uh, you had all these people, like kind of the, the God moving. You had Moses. You had Ezekiel. You had Isaiah. You had these great, incredible people of faith. And then you had these laws and these traditions, and you had all these sacrifices you did, and these tents that they built, and these temples that they built. And ultimately, what those things should show us is, oh my goodness, there's just not enough I can do to please God. It's not possible. And it should be incredibly freeing to hear this. That I don't have to memorize every single line of the Old Testament in order to please God. I don't need to worship a particular way seven times a day in order to please God. I don't need to restrict myself from certain foods in order to please God. I don't need to stand, kneel, bow, stand, kneel, bow, stand, kneel, bow. When I was a kid, that was church. 
And to this day, I still know exactly when I'm supposed to kneel. And I still know exactly what words I'm supposed to repeat. But those words were absolutely meaningless. I have no clue what they mean. They never changed this. (laughs) And Paul's saying there's freedom (laughs) for you that you do not need to perform. What the law should show you, even just even if we just took the Ten Commandments, just for fun, Ten Commandments, okay? I'm not going to go through them in any particular order. Let's just pull a few out for fun. Honor your mother and your father. Have you ever broken that one? If your parents are sitting beside you, don't raise your hands, okay? I have. I broke it. Ha- Do not give false witness, or as other Bible translations say, like, don't lie. How many of you have lied? Right? Don't covet. Don't, like, desire something that belongs to your neighbor. Some of my neighbors have really nice cars. Okay? I drive a really crummy Dodge Grand piece of something. It gets me around. Okay, and I love it because I can slip drywall in the back of it when I'm renovating my old house. Okay, so I love that I can fit drywall in it, but that's about it. (laughs) Makes a whole bunch of noise. And Danielle goes, are you going to get that fixed? Goodness, no. (sighs) I don't want to put more money into that pit. (laughs) Okay, but boy, I see some cars. (sighs) Have I ever coveted? Have you ever coveted? Right. Welcome to Greenbelt Church, all of you lawbreakers. (laughs) And your pastor is one of them, right? But praise be to God that our salvation is not found in the fact that you and I can uphold the law, right? And so that's where Paul continues here in verse 21. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. The law lets you know the standard of God, right? And this righteousness, how do we receive it? It is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this is what God did. This is what Christ did on the cross. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That means Sin had to be paid for, right? And this was done through the shedding of his blood because the Bible teaches us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. But it's not my blood. It's not your blood that gets shed. It's Jesus's blood. And then how is this? And then it is received not by being a good girl, not by being a good boy, not by being religious. It's received by faith. And so God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, So I'm just going to jump down into verse 27, where it says this. So if God is the one who did all of this, that our righteousness comes from faith in Jesus alone, verse 27 says, where then is boasting? Where do we as religious people have the right to brag about ourselves? Paul says it is excluded. Where's the boasting? It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? He's kind of speaking rhetorically now. 
us religious people who think we're all that, that we've got it all together, that we're good boys, we're good girls, we're keeping all the traditions, right? He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> because the law that requires requires faith, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the work of the law. Right? And so this is this good news, right, that comes to set people free free from feeling like i have to perform to please god feeling like i am not good enough for god in 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 the nearly how long have i i've been pastoring for about 16 16 years now the number of times i've talked to followers of jesus when we talk about baptism right the number of christians who've told me i'm just not ready to be baptized yet because I just feel like I need to clean up my life more. I just haven't arrived. Like, I, if I get, like, my porn problem solved, then I'll do it. Or if I start treating my husband better, then I'll do it. Or if I was just a better employee at work, then I'll get baptized. If you are waiting until your life is perfect before you get baptized, you're never going to get baptized. Because you're going to wait forever. Okay? That's not how this works. We don't clean up our lives first so that God will accept us. God accepts us. Right, this is why, like Paul quotes, he quotes the Psalms. He quotes Psalm one, uh, 14 when he says, There is no one righteous. Like he's reminding the people of Israel of what King David taught them. And King David was a man after God's own heart. He kind of helped build, God used him to build up the nation to like this massive glory. To be like, almost like a superpower in the Middle East there. And the riches that came from there. And even in that context, with King David at the height of the power of Israel, that yeah, there's no one righteous. It's, not just a New Testament theme, it's an Old Testament theme. And it's a message of very, very, very good news. Again, I, I've shared this many, many times before. Uh, I, I come from a kind of a religious family background, but not a faith background. Uh, I, I went to kind of a French-Canadian Roman Catholic school. Again, we had the nuns. I remember Sarah-Josette Pilon. She was about that tall. Sweet lady, ran the, ran the choir. I used to sing in the choir. I used to, to wear like this yellow velvety kind of shirt in the choir. It was, thank goodness there are no pictures of that because it was just hideous. And I had lots of hair back then. I mean, I had thick, thick, wavy, curly hair. So picture me this tall, big, thick, curly hair, yellow kind of satiny shirt, singing little songs to Jesus and not believing any of it. Because I wasn't good enough. I couldn't perform enough. And if I would perform better, then maybe God would love me. See, for so many people, they think that's the message of the church. And they think that's the message of the church because maybe deep down that has been our theology. Because our theology changes our behavior. And if the church believes you better clean up your act for God to love you, then what kind of behavior are we going to demonstrate to the world that needs to know the love of God? See, Paul is telling religious people that the Christian faith is not a religion, and it's for everybody. 
Again, so many people that I talk to in this pluralistic culture that we live in today, which honestly isn't, isn't any different than the pluralistic culture of Rome back in the Apostle Paul's day. Because back in Rome, many churches, many gods, many temples, many different ways to worship. Modern-day Canada, many different religions, many different faith groups, many different ways to believe. Right? And so often what we hear in modern-day Canada is that Christianity is very limiting. To say that Christianity, that, to say that Jesus is the only way to God. Right? It sounds very limiting. And here's the good news. It is. <laughs> It is very limiting how to get to God. But the good news is this, that the ways to Jesus are uncountable. Every single person's journey to Jesus is unique. Three stories today, all unique. All the baptisms we do here, every story is different because you're different. Your life is different. Your situation is different. Jesus welcomes everybody, everybody. So how do I get to God the Father? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one, no one. And in the Greek, what that means in English, it means no one. (laughs) No one comes to the Father except by being religious and keeping all the traditions and doing everything Pastor Kevin tells you to do. No, it says no one comes to the Father except through me. Is it limiting? Yes, but Jesus is for everyone and accepts everyone. So quickly, three things that I want to just pull from this text here from Romans chapter 3. Again, as we wrestle with this, again, as people of faith, as religious people, how does this text change how we live Like if this good news truly is good news, that we were not saved by being religious, we were not saved by keeping works, that this sin thing that we have that keeps us separated from God, if it is truly fully dealt with by Jesus and Jesus alone, how does that change how we live? So three things that we're going to look at, and then how does this play out? Okay, the first is this, is that all people are fully equal. Right, we see this here in Romans chapter 3. It talks about this in verses 9 to 12. Again, he's talking to these Jewish people who think they're better. Like, I mean, could you just imagine for a moment that God shows up into your life? So let's say God shows up to one of your ancestors, shows up to like a grand, your grandfather, for example, and says, okay, you know, Grandpa Presto, you are God's chosen people. And then my grandfather raises my father to go, you know what? I heard from God that above every other family in the world, the Pressos are God's chosen people. You, you think you might get a little puffed up, right? I mean, and I know in my family line, I don't even need to be God's chosen people to get puffed up. There's a lot of stuff that can puff me up, <laughs> okay? And so that's what kind of happened with the people of Israel. Like, because here's the call. The call that they had to be God's chosen people, and then the, the, the flip side of that call was, and through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. 
wait a minute. You mean I get chosen by God? And the flip side is I have to bless other people? Well, no, 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 no. I want God's blessing. I want to hold this for me. I just want this for myself. Right? So we forget. Bless. Yeah, you are God's people. But the responsibility of being God's people is that you're going to be a blessing to the entire world. Right? The same as the exact same message for the church. When Paul is speaking again to the most civilized city of the world here and reminding these religious people, he said, you know what? You have no grounds to say you're better than anybody else. No grounds to say you're better than anybody else. You know, sure, you had the word of God. You had the presence of God right there among you in the temple. And yet you're still trapped and lost in your sin. And in fact, God himself came down. You know, the one that they had been waiting for, the Messiah, they've been waiting for generations upon generations for this Messiah, and he's finally here, and you reject him. You see, none of us have got any leg to stand on to say that we're better than anybody else. All people are fully equal. This is why, again, in this culture that we live in now, it's like, well, I'm a good person. Based on who? If you want to base it on me, yeah, you're probably a much better person than me. Right? If you want to base it on some people that you know in your life, that their lives are, they drink a lot and they're they're abusive, and you say, look, at least I'm not doing that, you look better than that. But compared to Jesus who was fully God and fully man, who had no sin in him, who brought the fullness of the law of God. Yeah, compared to that, we're in trouble. Right? But praise be to God that we're all equal. That we're all in this boat together. Right? Every human being is equal. All equal. And that's good news should be very freeing for all of us. The second thing that we see from this text here in Romans 3 is that Jesus' sacrifice is for all people. Right In Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, it says this righteousness. Again, what Paul's talking about is we are made righteous. The forgiveness of sin makes us righteous. That God's holiness comes into us. And it's done through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Not to people like me who believe. People who behave like I do. Who come from the country that I was born in. Who speak the language that I speak. Who make the same kind of money that I make. It's for all people. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. This is something that Paul, the Apostle Paul, teaches in many other places in his writings. He talks about this in Galatians chapter 3, where he has to keep reminding the church, there is no more Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no male or female, there's no slave, there's no master. Jesus has come to make it all equal for all of us, right? And so the sacrifice of Jesus is for all people. And again, what we think about that, 
changes the methodologies of our lives. If the good news of Jesus is truly for all people, and if all of us are truly equal because of this thing that we have called sin, do we still pick and choose who we want to tell um, tell them about Jesus? Are there groups of people that we go, yeah, Jesus is for everybody, but not that group, not those people, not that identity, not that country. Does that still play out? It does. I remember, you, may, you probably don't remember this, but a number of years ago, I did a sermon series called uh, How to Neighbor. And we did, I think it was about five, six weeks, topical series looking at the Bible, because if the greatest commandment is love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we did this sermon series, talked about loving your neighbor. And one of the topics, <laughs> I kind of poked the, the bear a little bit, and I said, how do we love our LGBTQ plus neighbor? And it was online. <laughs> Now, I hold to a traditional view of gender. I hold to a traditional view of marriage. But that gives me no permission to not love my neighbor. And one of my, uh, someone I know who was transitioning at the time sent me a text and said, I don't agree with what you said, but I loved your heart talking about this difficult topic. If you truly believe that Jesus is for all people, we have to be really mindful of the heart that we develop in bringing Jesus to people. Our theology changes our methodologies. Okay, So, Jesus' sacrifice is all people. All people are fully equal. And then finally is this, and hopefully you saw this this morning, is that we boast in Jesus. That's the call, right? We boast in Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, says, where then is boasting, right? Is it because of the law that we boast? No. Is it because we're religious that we boast? No. Is it because we do all this great work that we boast? No. We boast because of what Jesus has done. We maintain, this is how Romans three twenty-eight. for we maintain that a person is justified by faith. That is what heals humanity. That's what heals our relationship with God is the fact that when what we do is it's this picture when, when you talk about repentance, what is repentance? Repentance means turn, means just change direction. See, all of us, myself included, we all have this heart that's pulled towards sin. I don't know about your sin, but I, there's a part of me, I like my sin. It was fun. It was a good time. Back in when I was in college, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't do like youth group and youth camp and all the stuff that my kids done. I was drunk and passed out in a ditch. No word of a lie. I actually literally woke up once in the middle of the night asleep in a ditch. And I'm like, how did I end up here? And then I did it again next week because <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> But a mentor of mine called, called sin like this. He goes, sin is like a great, a great big sneeze. It feels great coming out, and then there's snot everywhere. 
Right? And that's the way this works, right? And so our hearts are pulled towards this sin. And we try to build religion around, well, I just need to stop the behavior. And Paul tells the most sophisticated church in the world that that's never going to work. You can't build a good enough system for that. It's Jesus alone. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back to heaven, him sending the Holy Spirit to come and indwell and empower the believer. And it's him who empowers us to change. Or suddenly the sin that we have been so attracted to suddenly is not so attractive anymore. Some people, they change instantly. They accept Jesus and they're a radically different person the next day. The rest of us, (laughs) it takes a while. As we trust more, as we believe more, as we witness God move more, we see this power of God at work changing us. And so we don't boast in Greenbelt Baptist Church. We don't boast in the fellowship with our denomination that we're a part of. We don't boast in any of those things. We boast in the one who died for our sins. That it's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so the big idea is this today. Is that this good news is for everyone. This good news is for everyone. And so just to wrap up, I want to leave you with some questions to talk about. I really encourage you, if you go to a life group during the week, talk about these in your group this week. Talk about these questions as a family, right? With this good news, right? If all people are truly equal, and that is good news. If Jesus' sacrifice is for all people, and that is good news, and then it brings this freedom that we can just boast in Jesus, if that's good news, how is that good news changing your life? How does this good news change how I view people? Are there some people I'm very, very open to, and other people I am not? If that's the case, wrestle with that, right? If this good news is true, how does this good news change how I view God? Do I see God as this God who, yes, is just and, yes, is holy, but is also incredibly merciful and loving and forgiving and full of grace? Then are there things about my view of God that need to change. Again, so many of us in the church today feel like God just wants to ruin our fun. Thank you for sharing that in your testimony today. That if you follow Jesus, your life isn't going to be any more fun. Then your view of God might be skewed. Right? So does this good news change how you view certain people? Does this good news change how you view God? And the third is, does this good news change how I view the church? And my role in it. Does the church exist for me and what I get? Or do I truly want to be a part of the church to bring this mission, to bring this teaching, to bring this love of God everywhere that he would send me? I get those are some pretty big questions to wrestle with. So do that on your own time. (laughs) 
But this starts, all of these questions have to start from the big question in your life. And the question is this, what am I going to do with Jesus? (laughs) Is he truly who he said he was? God. When Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, do I believe that? Or is it just some book? And that's okay if you think it is just some book. We're all on this journey of figuring this out. But maybe today you might be feeling something, you know, whether you're joining us online or you're here in the room and, and you're kind of hearing about this good news. Because <laughs> you never felt equal before. You felt like you had to perform. Maybe you didn't feel like Jesus was for you. Jesus is for those crazy church people over there. <laughs> or maybe you felt like Jesus could never forgive me. <laughs> Because, boy, Pastor Kevin, if you just knew how I lived my life, you would never say God loves me. Well, guess what? If you would know how I lived my life and I share some of it, I don't share all of it. Because you don't need to know. Okay? And he loves us anyways. So even today, right where you are, you can just sit there. If this is prompting your heart to turn to Jesus, you can just say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me that I'm a sinner like everybody else in the room, everybody else in the world. And thank you, Jesus, that you came to forgive me of that sin. Today, I ask you to come into my life and make me new. If you pray that prayer today at Church Online, pop-up shows up, please click that, let us know. If you pray that way in the room here today, come and tell me in the cafe afterwards. And then for those of us, whether we prayed this last week or whether we prayed this 50, 60 years ago, How is this good news going to change how you live? How does this good news that all people are equal, that Jesus came for everybody, that we boast in Jesus alone, how is that going to change your tomorrow, your school, your workplace, your family, everything that you need to do in this very messy, complicated world? Because my hope and my desire for all of us together is that this good news matters. Everyone needs to hear it. And God wants to work in all of us to see this message spread as far and as wide as we can take it. So let's pray. Father God, I praise you for the reminder today of um, just just the reality that every single one of us Um, are fully and truly equal. (laughs) That God, every single man, woman, boy, and girl has been created in the image and likeness of God. And because we have been created in the image and likeness of God, we are precious to you. (laughs) We didn't just evolve from sludge that got hit by lightning. (laughs) We we have purpose. (laughs) We have significance as image bearers of you. And God, I ask for your forgiveness when I have, me personally, when I have not treated image bearers of God with the dignity that they deserve as image bearers of God. Father, I pray for all of us that this message that Jesus has come for all people would change how we live. It would change how we view church. It would change the view that we have of our neighbors. It would change the view that we have of certain family members. It would change the view of what we have about certain kids at school. 
because your, your good news is good news. And so, Father God, today I ask that you would change lives, start with my own, help all of us to become more and more like Jesus in this world, showing this good news everywhere that we go. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.